Welcome back, everybody, to another uh, episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking about tiebreakers. I know this uh, this topic is kind of more geared towards competitive play, uh, but I know there's plenty of uh, more casual players that like to kind of get in the tournament scene from you know time to time, and tiebreakers is kind of an afterthought. So. We wanted to kind of go over all the different types of tiebreakers, especially if you're not used to the tournament scene or, uh, you know, maybe this is the only game you've ever, you know, played competitively. Uh, But there's a lot out there. There's definitely a lot of different uh, ways to do tiebreakers, and a lot of it just comes down to preference. Um, Some, you know, just have better upsides uh, in different ways and, you know, have big downsides. Just depends on uh, what you like. So we're going to be going over all the different uh, ones that we could kind of think of. Um, I'll be kind of monitoring the Facebook page. So there is a post on there asking for any suggestions of um, of tiebreakers that we might have missed. So if you guys post it on there, I'll definitely add it into our discussion. That or if you guys want to call in, if you guys are listening live, you can uh, call in and maybe throw in a tiebreaker uh that maybe we missed but yeah so a uh, quick rundown as usual the show we do live every week tuesday uh 8 p.m central standard time uh we do it live for you guys so that you can call in you know get to know us you can kind of give your two cents you know especially if we have guests on you can kind of talk to them um you know kind of you know pitch in with the you know with uh the topic of the of the week and, you know, for those that can't make it live, uh, we have it recorded on a bunch of different sites now. You can go to a song of ice and fire guild.com where there's tons of uh, content creators that uh, we all pull together to have a bunch of our content show up there. So you can definitely find our content link there. Uh, I definitely recommend checking it out, not uh, only for us, but definitely to check out everyone else's content because they make some awesome stuff. The site is beautiful, by the way. I uh, can't really take credit for that, but definitely go check it out. Other places you can find it is uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, and of course the site that we run this through, BlogTalkRadio.com. Um, tonight with we have with us uh, all of our hosts except for Jose right now. Um, he said he should be on a bit later, so uh, we'll add him in as soon as he jumps on. Uh, thank you guys for coming on as always and then we have a special guest on tonight carl from thank you so much for uh joining us tonight uh i know this is your first time on with us if you wouldn't mind maybe giving a little rundown of uh your maybe your hobby experience and even uh even some of your to experience cool yeah hello thank you so much for having me i'm carl um many folks out there that might be listening might know me from the uh Precision pivoting arcs that I, I made for Peacekeeper Games, um, which was uh, uh, fun and uh, really, um, I guess, uh, experience-heavy um, project I did uh, for this game. Um, I got to I got to deliver to over 20 different countries, meet tons of people. Um, it was very very uh, interesting. Um, as far as the hobby itself. Uh, gaming since as far as I can remember. Um, miniature wargaming, this would be my first. Um, and TOing big events, this would also be my first. So 
Uh, I started out by volunteering to go to the very first opening weekend, Gen Con, that this game opened at, and um, that was that was it. That just sold me. It was such a wonderful experience, and the team on staff and volunteer staff are, are really amazing people, and I just wanted more, so I kept coming back for more. So I did uh, PAX Unplugged and Adepticon and what else? The UK Games Expo. And local, local-wise, local I mean, I've done Pacificon over here in the Bay Area. Um, I tried to do LVO the first time, and I just couldn't do it. Um, but And then, of course, in the, here in Sacramento, California, I've done probably a dozen tournaments. So, um, Oh, I, I can't forget Drink and No Things, which was like my own style, because I work at a winery restaurant. So there was some wine and some snacks, and it was just it was a different type of experience altogether um so yeah um gamer since forever miniature war gamer very recently um i've been in the to uh kind of demo scene since this game began and i just fell in love with this game so um i don't know what else you're looking for but that's me (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's i mean that's awesome and uh it's definitely good to have you know someone with a bunch of experience on to kind of give their take uh, about the you know the tiebreakers i mean i used to to a long time ago for a bunch of different games um usually i i got into like warhammer and some card games and some other stuff pretty heavily and then once i was in it for a while i would uh pick up the judging aspect um since i've been doing ice and fire i have not uh dived into the judging part i mean i do uh, every so often, uh, kind of run the local tournaments, but I mean, I still play in them. It's more so I just kind of hand out the pairings, uh, and we just do it like, uh, in the sense that, you know, the winners face winners. So that way I don't have any real say on who faces who. Uh, so I can't like pair myself against, you know, whoever I want, but, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily even count that as, uh, you know, really judging. So, uh, it's definitely nice to have you on, and yeah, we can. Uh, oh, and uh, for those that don't know, um, Carl is a member of the guild, uh, so you can definitely check out, uh, you know, his uh, site on um, a song of ice and fire guild dot com as well. Um, all right, so yeah, first thanks. off, I will, I will in... just note. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, before we jump into the thing, yeah, if you wanted to add something. Yeah, I just had a couple quick thoughts, and I, do, I I have a habit of doing this. I don't know if, if anyone's listened to West Coast Diamonds podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, let me let me add a real quick note before <laughs> I do that a lot. But um, one is like judging and and toing, uh, or I should say, yeah, judging and toing are two different things, right? So being rules, being rules heavy, rules lawyer, rules judge, um, is different than being like an organizer of an event, right? Creating advertisements, creating prize support, drawing people in. A lot of times they are one person, both. Uh, but um, so I just want to say, like, don't feel like you're not contributing. You know, like anything anything helps TOs because people don't realize, like, how much is really involved. And I didn't realize when I first started how much is really involved. Um, so uh, just throwing that out there, uh, if you got a TO, I'm sure he would love someone to say, "Hey, I could be a rule, a rules judge if you need one." He's like, "Oh yes, thank you." 
or maybe uh, he's a rules guy and he needs help with advertising or price support. You know, it's just there's so much to do. So two different jobs. And the other thing was on West Coast Bannerman's page, we just had one that I uploaded this week. So go check it out. Uh, it's, it's called Drink and Chat Things, episode one. And we just run through a few uh, topics of um, that that listeners have suggested that we talk about. So thank you for the shout-out. Check out the Guild page. It's great. And, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just to kind of add to that a little bit, uh, definitely, you know, helping out your TO as much as possible, especially if it's a big tournament. Um, I mean, there are some TOs that, you know, this, I mean, it, you just kind of have to judge based on whether or not you know them and or not. Uh, some TOs don't really know the rules super well. Uh, I mean, TO doesn't necessarily mean that you are the know-all, be-all of rules. They just they, they love the game and they want to organize the event for you guys. So, um, you know, maybe if you know that the TO isn't very good with rules or maybe they could just use help, you know, you know kind of assess that, you know, without, you know, uh, being, you know, mean about it, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, just if you know you're knowledgeable with the rules, you know, always, you know, it's always nice to kind of offer up your, your skills, your, your services. Um, as uh, Carl was saying, you know, prize support always helps too. I know whenever I can uh, add to the prize pool to get people to kind of show up, you know, it it goes a long way. Um, so anything you can kind of do, uh, especially when you got tons of people there for a tournament and you only got like one or two people kind of run the event, it gets pr- kind of hectic. And uh, especially oh, yeah. with some rules questions, you know, you you don't always know the automatic for sure answer and get pretty tough because you know you always want to make the right call and the most fair call and that unfortunately mm-hmm. isn't always the case and some you know some tos can be really bashed for it too so uh, just try to keep that in mind uh next time you're at an event yeah and that's not and that's not cool <laughs> yeah and next time you're at an event and you feel like you got shafted with a call uh just try to, you know, look at, you know, I guess like uh, be an optimist in the sense that, you know, the TO is not out to get you. Um, I mean, it, I'm not saying it's impossible that that might be the case, but it's always good to look at it a light that they're not intentionally trying to do something bad and they're really just, you know, trying to make the best call. So, uh, you know, and, you know, thank them, you know, whenever you can because, you know, not only they are they foregoing playing a game that they obviously must love if they're TOing it, but you know they're spending the whole day. A lot of times the TOs don't even get uh, reimbursed. You know, they just do it because they want to grow the community. But yeah, off uh, off of that little tangent, um, I want to start off this sh- the show by kind of reading verbatim the victory and scoring for on Simon's document. That way, those that aren't super familiar with it kind of know where we're, you know, basing a lot of our, um, our tiebreakers on. So under victory, victory and scoring of the tournament document on page four, it says each round, a game mode will be chosen or determined randomly by the event organizer. All players will play the same mode following the rules outlined for that mode in the game mode document. Each game will end according to the chosen game mode or when the time limit is reached. 
Each round will potentially earn the player up to three tournament points, three uh, points for a win, two points for a tie, one point for a loss, and zero points for any game in which the player chooses to forfeit. In addition to tournament points, players will earn a number of secondary points as well. These will be used as tiebreakers to determine the final standings and are based on the total accumulated victory points versus opponent's total. So this, uh, I'm going to stop here and note that this is the important, like the most important part of everything I'm going to read because this is specifically talking about the tiebreakers. Um, so it's saying for a crushing victory, so five or more victory point difference so if, let's say, I have 10 points and my opponent only has 5, then that's a difference of 5, meaning I will fit in this category. Uh, it says the winner will get 4 SP, so secondary points is what it's short for, and the loser will get 0. Uh, a standard victory is 3 to 4 victory point difference, uh, and the winner will get 3, and the loser will get 1. In a narrow victory, anywhere from zero being a tie or uh, upwards of two, uh, the winner will get two and the loser will get two. So essentially a tie in that, in that sense. Um, goes on to say, if a player ever has zero remaining combat units on the battlefield, their opponent immediately wins the game and scores a crushing victory. Um, so you could be tied 10-10. Or even, let's say, you're down 9-10, and you killing that unit puts you at 10-10, but it's a table. Even though you ended at 10-10, uh, you score as if you were a crushing victory. Uh, but that doesn't change, as far as I'm aware, that doesn't change your victory points. You still would be marked down for 10 victory points, but your secondary points would list, be listed out at 4 secondary and you're the loser at zero um, players should record the total points destroyed enemy units each uh, during each game as these may act as a tertiary tiebreaker so tertiary is really getting down there i mean uh, some games go you know super far down uh, with tiebreakers sometimes just as a precaution because even though it's you know it might be super rare that it's going to happen what do you know? It's you know it happens one time and then you're really in a pickle. So uh, and usually tertiary and just anything past that uh, victories um, or I mean tiebreakers is usually just additional uh, like secondaries that have just been delegated as you know third and fourth and fifth uh, that they deem less as important and. So a lot of the ones that we're going to be talking about tonight could easily all be a tiebreaker. They're just in a different order based on if you just keep tying on things. Um, and then the last part says, if a player should concede a game, their opponent will score a win with a standard victory, unless they would already have scored a crushing at the time of uh, conceding. They are also awarded points for each unit they have destroyed, and half of the value... Uh, of the opponent's army, uh, whichever is greater. The conceding player is given a loss with zero victory points and secondary points. The event organizer may modify these totals and disqualify a player from the tournament if, uh, if they conceded uh, based on... Uh, if the, so if the concession should be de deemed to have been 
done with unsportsmanlike behavior or intent. So that part, uh, I've seen a lot of different uh, document tournament documents. That part is very ambiguous and I'm sure is left up to the TO's uh, interpretation. In a lot of games I've played, uh, you're allowed to intentionally um, forfeit. Like you're allowed to, um, you know, per, uh, purposely give someone the win in order to help them in the tournament, as long as there's no uh, no like uh, exchange of anything. So as long as it's not for money product or anything like that if let's say you're facing your buddy and it it determines who's going to go to the final round and you simply just want them to go whether it be because you think they have a better chance of winning the whole thing or whatever that's fine uh and i'm saying that's fine in most tournaments i've seen but if ever there's an exchange of money for doing so or product or anything exchange of anything other than the fact that you want them to do it then that's where it becomes an issue with practically all uh, tournaments i've ever seen so but the way that simon has worded the ending here it really leaves it up to kind of um the to's uh interpretation in my opinion because it says uh, if the concession should be deemed to have been done with unsportsmanlike behavior or intent. So, I mean, it really comes down to one's opinion of what's unsportsmanlike behavior or intent. Because some might consider quitting just so someone could then, who has a better chance to win, you know, let's say they know that their opponent's going to be free folk and you're facing your buddy who has like an anti-free folk list and you're really bad at free folk. You could be like, well, I'm going to let you win because I want you to at least take the whole thing because I have a chance, I have very little chance of doing it. Some might see that as unsportsmanlike, whereas others might not um, because there's no exchange of, you know, of anything involved. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, what Simon has down. I do, I will throw it out there that uh, I do uh, like it. It's probably not my favorite option, but uh, I do like kind of how they have it set up. So uh, let's go first into uh, with uh, Carl. What do you? What would you say about uh, what they have here? Um, uh, there's there's quite a few I could things I could talk about, but I'm gonna try to organize them in my head so I'm not just rambling. But um, one is I think it's a very nice improvement from the first iteration. Um, that's a huge awesome plus, which means a few things. One is they, again, are listening to us, our feedback, and two, they care and they are continuing to care about the game and balancing and making tournaments fair, etc. So awesome, A plus, just for that simple fact. Um, a, a couple things, though, like um, the wording for that last paragraph, which is kind of like I'm trying. While you're reading, I was just thinking, like, okay, so it says that the conceding player is given a loss of zero victory and secondary points, but the winner would be standard, unless already crushing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I could have just worded it very plainly, but I would say like, um, just increase their victory, right? So if somebody concedes and it's narrow, they get standard. If 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 they concede during a standard victory, then they get crushing. If it's already crushing, they get crushing anyways. Um, and, and I would say that that's the one thing I have changed just to try it out in the past. 
with the um, tabling an opponent as well. I, I it, during one of my own events, I changed it to kind of leveling up the type of victory because if it's a neck and neck game and you barely squeak it out by killing your opponent's last unit and he was even winning, and then all of a sudden you get a crushing victory, it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel right. So I, I in my own event, I kind of had it level up. So you could be losing or experiencing a narrow victory. If you table, you would get standard. If it was during a standard and you tabled, you'd get crushing. Um, besides those few things, let's see. Um, I just want to point out, <laughs> that's kind of like a um, <laughs> uh, throwback to a poll I just had. The Each round, a game mode will be chosen or determined randomly. Right? So it's not it's not chosen or determined randomly before the event. <laughs> that's just a funny, uh, a funny uh, elbow to a couple people. I've been discussing this game with, but um, as far as that goes, if you're going to choose the game mode during the event, like, let's say, round one, okay, T.O. chooses, uh, it better be randomly. Like, that's just straight up. I don't even know why chosen is, is there, um, because if it's if it's not random, there's going to be so much, like, whoa, 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 like, just roll the dice. Why not? You know, because then the people, you know, that know the T.O. might know what's coming, Yada yada. Might as well just make it random every single time, if it's not announced ahead of time. Um, I would uh, I, I would that's... just add to that. Um, I'd be okay with them excluding some in advance. Be like, hey, we're gonna be doing it random, but it won't be out of so and so. We'll say like uh, um, uh, the sword. Oh, here's the pool. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like here's the pool of random. Uh, options it will be random and it will be rolled like start around one we will roll it and you'll see it and you know that'll be what everyone will play but you'll at least know that hey i'm not going to have to worry about you know doing attacker defender missions or something or you know right, something right. that might be like super uh one-sided so but yeah i think like something yeah, like that I would just, be, work I would out really well like like if, if people don't know the game mode then it should be random just to completely nullify and get rid of any type of uh, doubt or, you know, foul play in the back of people's minds because that's just the most fair way to do it. Like, why, why do it any other way? Um, and, yeah, so that's it for me, I think, off, off the top of my head. Awesome. Uh, so let's uh, go next to uh, Justin. Uh, what do you – how do you uh... – view the Simon uh, tiebreaker what's your opinion on it uh, well I besides this game I've done like a couple tournaments for miniature games but not like super heavily this is really the only one so I've never had an issue with it um, it always seemed fine enough to to me of having at least two levels of it makes sense I don't know I mean my experience is limited but it always has seemed fair in the tournaments I've played so I'm fine with it really have a ton. Yeah, and I think that's uh Chris, what do you say? I think we're kinda on a uh, agreement with that. But I want to get everyone's opinion on it before we move on. Sorry. Took a while to unmute this thing. Um <laughs> I think all the stuff is fine. I've never placed high enough in a tournament for this to make any difference for me. So 
I think it's fine. <laughs> well, technically, you could tie break with people lower on the on the list too. Um, not necessarily just for you know, because the the tiebreaker uh, for anyone listening, um, you know, it's gonna happen throughout the whole list. So all the three and let's say let's assume it's a four round tournament. So all the three and ones, all the two and twos, uh, all the one and threes, even uh, if there's a proper number of rounds being played, there should only be one uh, undefeated and one winless, uh, unless something crazy happened but uh you know but i know not you know depending on the number of people there just isn't enough time for five rounds in a single day so uh sometimes there's just multiple undefeated and multiple winless so um so that the tiebreaker might even come into you know factor with uh those as well um I would say more often than not, the tiebreakers matter the most to those that are that have one loss. So in this case, all the three and ones. That's where it really starts to play really big. Because if you did play an, the correct number of rounds for the amount of people, and you know three and ones, that's you know you're, there could be a like four three and ones, and only one of them is going to get second place, even though you all got the same record. So. Uh, that's kind of where the tiebreaker is going to shine for you. Um, let's see. I, I can um, finish one more thought. So um, I talked about a couple of different paragraphs, but as far as, yeah, the tiebreaker specifically, um, you can't really help but, like, bring in other elements of, a, of an event. For example, how do you pair first round, right? How do you pair throughout the tournament, which we're not going to get into right now, but what I mean by that is, a crushing victory is easier if a veteran pairs with a with a rookie, right? Um, so there are some obvious downsides, um, but you know, it, and in the same document, the pairing is random first round. It just outright says that it says should be random. So no matter how good somebody is, that it could be world renowned, he could end up with a guy that's been playing for two weeks, right? It's, it's random. And he's going to crush that. <laughs> right? So, like, that's kind of like, how is that balanced? Well, it's not. It's just not. Um, it sucks to be the rookie, but, hey, you know, if he would have won the first round, he would have might have gotten in the next round. Right? It doesn't really matter. But, anyways, the point is, like, with all these other tiebreakers that we will we'll talk about soon, like, everything is kind of connected with how you pair, how you start a tournament, and et cetera. So, um the previous version was just victory points, I believe. And that was kind of even worse for veterans getting paired with rookies because it created such a disparity between uh, how many victory points you can score against someone brand new to the game. In this case, it kind of just makes it categorized. So you can only score this many points if you get paired that way, which, as I said earlier, is a great improvement. So um, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, I excuse me. I've participated in in quite a few tournaments, and uh, generally, you don't you don't have to come to a tiebreaker. But like Dave said, sometimes it's just really, you know, unreasonable, or it's uh, don't have the time to stay and and uh, finish a round. But uh, for the most part, there's there's been a clear winner in the tournaments I participated in. Um, with that said, I'm I'm pretty okay with the with the tiebreaker system that Simon has. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, 
it's more or less uh, this, the special points are like a strength of victory type of deal. And uh, I think that's a pretty – I think that's a better answer, like, like Carl said, than just straight-up victory points. Like, in my opinion, a, a 10 to 3 is better than a 15 to 14. So I don't know if I'm, I'm beating a dead horse by kind of bringing that up, but I think that little adjustment to, to the way that they did the, the tiebreakers is a pretty solid addition. And uh, I think it definitely uh, demonstrates, you know, um, maybe who was the better player. There's always flaws with it, but I, I, I do like the, uh, the strength of your victory as a tiebreaker. So I want to add in there. So for those that are listening that aren't like super hardcore competitive, but still like, you know, getting some tournaments in and like kind of, you know, that competitive scene without uh, really stressing over it. Uh, One thing that we do at our local, uh, which uh, tends to, you know, get used every so often is uh, we do grudge matches. So very first round instead of random, Uh, That way, if new people show up and, you know, we don't want them to have to face the person they rode with, uh, we do allow grudge matches. So the way that works is you simply say, all right, for the first round, if you want to call out someone to to face in particular, so let's say I could call out uh, my friend Spencer, I'd be like, hey, I want to face you. He has the option to uh, accept or deny. You can just simply deny, and then you don't have to. And then it's, it goes back to being random. Or you could, you could accept. Uh, I mean, there really is no downside to that doing it that way uh, for the fact that, um, you know, you are usually going to uh, grudge match people that you know uh, and if you know them, I mean, that's usually what you don't want to face in a tournament is the people you know, because uh, usually either you have to face them all the time or, or whatnot. Um, so, but it's a nice little feature in there that you could do uh, for a little less competitive, you know, tournaments. Um, I mean, you could even do it for bigger tournaments too, uh, though it just depends on how big and what's at stake. Cause if there's a lot at stake, then, you know, you might get some disgruntled people. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I know we want to keep the game lighthearted and, uh, you know, not get too crazy into being, you know, very competitive. You do have to take into consideration those that drove uh, five, you know, even like three plus hours away to come to your event you want to make it as fair as possible. And the best way to make it fair is to not throw in weird stuff uh, like that. Uh, but for like local events, that's definitely, you know, you know, there's not a lot at stake usually at a local event, like just your, your monthly tournament. Um, so I want to add that in there. Just, you know, anyone listening that runs their events, you know, you could throw that in there to kind of spruce things up Um or uh, another thing that we'll do is first round, we'll specifically make sure that uh, people that rode together don't face each other. So it's still random, but we make sure that if somehow the random pairing put, let's say, two people that drove from like two hours away against each other first round, uh, we'll, swip, we'll swap it back up. But if by chance you end up facing them after that, 
then you just kind of have to deal with it. Because uh, after that, though, at least the way we do it is um, number one faces number two, and this is going down to tiebreakers too. If if you're mm-hmm. if there, let's say after the first round there's uh, let's say there's eight people, let's say there's four one and zero and four zero and one, it's the one and zero that has the best seating facing uh, the next best one and zero. And then so on. And so that way, that's what kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about. Uh, I kind of run a lot of the events at our monthly, but I still play. And that's because, uh, you know, I do the pairings that way. So I don't really have control or uh, like a bias on who's going to face who. And you just, after round one, you just kind of have to deal with whoever you get paired with. Whereas, but we're super lenient with at least round one because, you know, round one's a lot more flexible especially when there's not like a ton on the line. Um, so, um, all right. Uh, going on to the first of the other tiebreakers that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, let's see. First one I'm going to bring up is my uh, personal favorite. Uh, this is probably my personal favorite in pr- pretty much any type of game I can think of and that is and I'll kind of compare it with the a similar one that I really don't like and that is your tiebreaker is based on the records of your opponents that you uh that you lost to and the reason being that you uh because the opposite of that is the records of the opponents that you beat so um this is a lot less uh like a big deal in tabletop because you don't see it that much, even though you do see it a little bit. Uh, but in card games, this is big to not have your record it be the record of the opponents you beat because in card games, from my experience, a lot of people drop out. You know, they'll play like two rounds and drop out. Uh, even like one round, they lose, they drop out. So if you do it based on records of your opponents you beat, you could go, you know, uh, let's say in a tournament's usually like seven rounds, you could go six and one and like five of the six people you beat all dropped. And so their scores are horrible. Um, and so it's too, you know, that's the tiebreaker I'm going to throw out there, even though I think it's a horrible one. Um, just to let you guys know that it is a tiebreaker that it is used sometimes. Um, but my favorite one is records of opponents that you lost to. And so if you're, undefeated then it doesn't really matter much um you know if you're undefeated then it doesn't matter the fact that you have no people that you lost to because you don't really need a tiebreaker and if you do have multiple undefeateds because of lack of uh appropriate number of rounds then you just go to the next tiebreaker but uh for all those that are let's say um three and one you know it's going to take the three and one that got beat by the best player on the thing. So if you're three and one and your only other loss or your only loss was to the guy that is undefeated. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you faced the guy who's undefeated or, or girl. Um, so, uh, so that in my opinion is my favorite, uh, tiebreaker for that reason, because it really goes to show the strengths of the people you had to face, uh, throughout your, you know, your games, especially like in Warhammer where they have like two day events or just, I guess any, any tabletop where they have two day events and you're playing like, 
six, seven, you know, sometimes eight rounds, you know, showing the record of the people that you lost to really says a lot to, you know, to that regard. And that being the tiebreaker also puts less emphasis on needing to crush your opponent, you know, less emphasis on needing to uh, work out every last little tiny victory point and how bad you beat your opponent. You could just, you know, granted, yes, you could then barely win every single one of your games by one victory point every single time and then just happen to lose to the main person. You could even technically, I guess, worst case scenario, be three and one. Your three games that you win win by one victory point and then your one loss be, you know, zero to 10 to the undefeated and still take uh, second place. But um, we're talking worst case scenario in that uh, situation. But I don't know, that's just a personal, uh, like I began this show with a lot of this is going to be personal preference and uh, everyone's going to kind of have their own uh, take on what they think is best. Uh, I just want to throw it out there. That one I is my favorite. Uh, before we, jump on to any of the others though i'm going to go to you guys uh um and see what you guys think uh what about you carl what do you think about those two options uh well i love strength of schedule period um on that note like i would i could easily say like people dropping out just sucks (laughs) no matter no matter what you're using um, it just it throws the wrench, and it happens sometimes. You gotta go. I'm not not saying anyone's a bad person for it. I'm just it's just as a TO or someone doing the pairing or doing the standings. It's like, oh man, <laughs> somebody dropped. Um, but it happens, especially especially conventions. They don't they don't have any shot at winning. See ya. I'm gonna go catch this other event going on down the hall. Um, so it happens, right? So the schedule, I think it's great. Um, I think it is interesting um, to really dig into like with this game you know and when you start talking about like like game modes are different how different they are um, which relates to like also like crushing victories and, and standard victories and narrow victories because some factions aren't good at some game modes as or as good as other factions so uh, I like everything that you said um, because yeah, maybe I beat um, Jimmy by one point playing Game of Thrones, um, but you beat him by five points playing Fire and Blood. Well, you know, Jimmy's got free folk. He sucks at Fire and Blood, so of course you beat him by five points. Like so, I like strength of schedule. I like him a lot. So plain and simple for me, I like it. Yeah, I feel like you can't really. Uh... I feel like you can't really go wrong with strength schedule. Um, and uh, just to be uh, to clear, to be clear, you're talking about uh, the people that you beat or the people that you lost to. Um, well, that's the thing with strength of schedule. Like you want to take into consideration all of it. Right. Um, yeah. If, if I had to choose, well, if I had to choose, I would say lost two is better, and I like your reasoning for that. Um, uh, because I would there say is that definitely drop- pairing them, pairing them is definitely good. So, like, if you have who you lost to is the first tie, like your your first tiebreaker, and then who you beat as the one after that, that usually kind of encompasses all of it if you need to. Like uh, I think I was mentioning with uh, if 
you know, you do have two four and O's because of you weren't able to do enough rounds, then, you know, since you don't have uh, any that you lost to, it would go to based on who they beat, which I'm not a big fan of overall, but when I, when you in, combined it with who you lost to going first, then it's not so bad. Yeah, and I, ha- I have tried this kind of integrating it into Simon's secondary point system by using their by by using the opponents you've faced. You t- you take at the end of the tournament you take their secondary points, and I think the way I did it was you have your record, and then you add your own secondary points to all of your opponent's secondary points, but you take but you split them in half. So like. If Jimmy overall over the course of the tournament got I don't know twelve, you you get six for for playing him. Um, so that way it encompasses like how well did somebody do for that whole event, right? Just because you know, just because. Uh, well, I guess that's that's what record of your opponents means, but like it's hard to do that with with just like making up a value, you know what I mean, I guess? Um, Cause then you have to compare them and then how do you compare them with if, if two people have the same opponents? Like, okay. So you just, the way that I did it was you just take the, their secondary points as the value. This is how good this person did, right? The secondary points. And, and that's your, that's your like score of your opponent. And you add up your opponents and that's like, that was your strength of schedule. So that worked out pretty good. <laughs> just a lot of math <laughs> yeah it can get kind of complicated sometimes um brett uh what do you think about uh those two different tiebreakers the both of the different uh strength of schedule um i see where it can have some merit um i think like you said it's definitely going to be a person's opinion and it's going to be based on probably their personal experience. I know um, I know our co-guild member, uh, Yannick, would be probably in favor of this because in that Paris event, his only loss the entire event was to the guy who won the event, and Yannick had placed fifth. And if, we, if it was by strength of schedule, he would have placed second. So I can see some merit to it, but I can see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can see it swinging. Either way, but I think that's the case with any tiebreaker. If a person finished that, you know, with just one loss and they maybe dropped four or five places because of a tiebreaker system, they probably might be inclined to not like that particular one that was used. So I think it's a really tough question to answer. But but personally, for me, I can see the strength of it. I just. Uh, I tend to lean more into the uh, the strength of your victory more than anything. So I, I don't hate it. I wouldn't complain if it was what was used. I think it's a perfectly fair way of doing it. It's just not my favorite. Well, yeah, I and I could definitely quick, see that. Uh, um, when you say, like, he would have got second place, it's, I would say it's not uncommon. Like, if uh, if there's one undefeated person left, that many of the people right under him in placement lost to that person. So that's not a real, that's not as simple as it sounds, especially as with like a hundred person event and you have seven rounds or something like that. Like the person at the top 
probably could have easily beat the people in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth place, you know, like, and so now they all have the same guy that they lost to as their one loss. So you still have to do something else in addition to that, right? Which is why uh, we were talking, we talked about combining also the person, the people that you beat as well. But anyways, that's a fair <laughs> point. That's yeah, and you have to consider the right. – I, I kind of – yeah. The likeliness of it happening is not all that out there either because you have to remember if you're pairing based on winner to winner, winner to winner, there's a, a decent chance that at least two of the undefeateds, uh, let's say they're playing four or five rounds, there's a really good chance that at least two of their wins are against people that are now currently three and one. Um, so – and a lot of times, I mean, there's been a lot of events where I've gone, you know, in multiple different types of games where I've gone either undefeated or, you know, one loss. And I look at the people that I beat and most of them all have at least uh, even to positive, you know, uh, records for that tournament. Uh, so it's really not that all that uncommon. Um, now, if you're talking about past like two people, then then that's where it starts to kind of get out there, but it's definitely still possible, especially if very first round, you know, if you're doing random pairings and that very first round, you get paired against someone really good and now you face them and you beat them. You have to think that now second round, that really good player is now going to face someone who lost. And a lot of the times without, you know, any disrespect, the people that lose the first round, they have that much higher a chance to facing someone not as good. So that will then mean that after the second round, that really good player that lost lost the first round is now one and one, and then the they're going to face another one and one, and there's a decent chance that if they're really that good of a player, they're going to win again, being two and one. And then that's where it kind of gets dicey because then when you jump back up to that two and one, then you if you can win that one, now now you would see why you're back up to three and one and how the undefeated could easily have a lot of the players that they beat be good rec excuse me, good records. Yeah, I believe the technique what, uh, you're referring to is called submarining. Um which is to say that if you're gonna lose one, get it out of the way round one. Because then you never yep. have to face the person that's gonna win the tournament. Right. I mean, you could have maybe faced him round one, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You're going to lose anyways, right? So you're just going for second place. It's some, it's called submarining to second place. Like, if you're going to lose, the, lose round one because you don't have to deal with the, the best people from then on. Right? Well, eventually you do, but. Yeah, and one downside uh, to um, tabletop compared to, like, I guess my experience of card games tournaments is that um, – you, there is no, uh, if anyone's unfamiliar with card games, they do top cuts. So you do a Swiss pairing and you play X number of rounds. And then it's after, let's say, seven rounds, it's the people with the top eight or 16 people with the best records then go on to a single elimination bracket. So the reason that's good is you could get 16th place and then, uh, find yourself winning the entire thing after single, I mean, granted it's kind of a, a big struggle because a lot of places seed you 
like kind of like in basketball, you're, you know, if you're 16th seed, you're going to face the number one. So it's going to be a tough first battle, but, um, you know, you still have a shot, you know, sometimes you could have like two losses going into top cut and come out victorious in the end. Whereas in basically all tabletop games I've ever seen, they just do the Swiss pairing and it is what it is. So you lose one, and you're not winning the tournament, period. You, there is no top cut to redeem yourself for, you know, at the end. It's you lose the first one, yeah, you could still fight for second, and that's that's still something, you know. That's, you know, I, you know, I would take second, you know, any day as well. You know, it's still a, a great achievement. Third place, best sportsman, best appearance. But in card games, you don't really have best uh, appearance, and usually you still don't even have best sportsman. It's all just, you know, placing. So that's uh, one positive to the tabletop is that, you know, they, they give credit to, you know, the other aspects of the game. Um, but it does uh, lend more to the tiebreaker system because, you know, that one loss could mean a big deal. As Brett was mentioning, you know, depending on what tiebreaker you use could mean the difference of a bunch, you know, placing much differently. Um, but again, I mean, there really is no usually really isn't no right or wrong answer. It's all going to come down to preference and just kind of what you would like to see. Um, Justin, uh, what do you think about those two tiebreakers? I know you're not like huge in the tournament scene, but just from what you kind of like have heard, what's your opinion? Whatever that one that you mentioned about the the player brackets at the end that they pair them together and you can end up winning the tournament, that sounds crazy. sounds very long. Would take all day to the longest uh, tournament then ever. Again, <laughs> then again, you have to think card games are much quicker. So yeah, that's I true. mean, yeah. Um, because I played uh, anyone that's a card game player. I've played uh, Dragon Ball Dragon Ball Z uh, from Pini, uh card game, and I mean, tournaments were seven to eight rounds, and then you did top cut of usually sixteen, and I mean this was back in its heyday. Um, and so you would uh, say so you then did top 16, you would have what um, one, one more two, three, like four more rounds. If you go down, you know, granted single elimination. So you would have to beat your first three opponents to get to that fourth round. But still, I mean, you could go upwards of like 12 rounds in a tournament and it could be a very long day. If you're, I know uh, the venue closed at one of our places. The uh, finals had to take place at, I think, a Wendy's <laughs> because it just went way too long. But, you know, it's, <laughs> you know it is what it is. But, uh, um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, uh, you guys were talking about when you lose your first um, first round. Both times we've gone to Indiana, I've always lost the first round, and then I end up getting fourth place. And it is... I gotta say, if you lose the first round, it's a lot easier after that. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. It's yeah. not that bad. <laughs> I always end up losing by like the smallest margin, though. I think last time was a Clash of Kings game against an all capitalist, so naturally, I had a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> it was Brett's right, fault. Then, uh, he made the events. Yeah, I blame Brett too. For a lot of things. It's always <laughs> that's a really it's generally a safe go to. Like it's it's probably the safest play that you have. Like of all the things that you could do, that is the best play always. 
no matter what. No Varys, ever. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, next up on uh, the tiebreakers, there's four of them that I'm going to kind of roll all together because they're, they're very, very similar. It's number of units you killed, number of units, or number of points you killed, and number of, uh, number of units you lost, and number of points you lost. So um, I like uh, what you killed better than what you lost, and I like number of points you killed better than units. Uh, I feel like points, because you have to start the game with relatively the same exact number of points you killed, uh, or, I mean, I'll roll this in there, too. You could also do the number of units remaining or number of points remaining. Uh, either way, uh, they kind of is very similar uh, to what you killed uh, in units and points. But I like um, I like points rather than units because you have to start the game with relatively the same exact points uh, on the field. Granted, you could spend more in NCUs, um, but it's, in my opinion, a lot more fair than, you know, let's say free folk that have to run, uh, usually have to run a ton of units, and you could have, like, an elite list that runs, like, four. Um, Points, you know, even though you have more units to less units, relatively the points are going to be close. Um, I mean, because... Usually you're only going to see like 11 points spent in NCUs. And then even if you're running only like six points, it's like a five-point difference, um, which can be big. But it's a lot better than, in my opinion, that's a lot better than, um, you know, if you're free folk with like 10 units and uh, you're, you know, I don't know, uh, like an elite Lancer list with four. I mean, it could be like a nightmare for free folk, especially if you just kill like three uh, raider units and now they have to like table you to, you know, win in that regard. So I definitely like points um, rather than units. What do you think, uh, Carl? Uh, In this game that we love points over units, hundred percent of the time, for sure. Um, And that's, as you said, due to the way the game works. Um, two things to note is uh, one is both of these are used in this game. One is for tertiary uh, tiebreakers in the Simon document for tournaments, and two is for every single game you play. If you finish six rounds and you're tied, you look at how many points are remaining on the battlefield. Um, that is the one that I don't really like, right? It's I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to it, it's hard to like or dislike it. I, I guess it's just like you got to have something, right, to determine the winner. Um, I think what you've destroyed is better, but um, it's very similar as you said. Uh, but as you mentioned, like free folk versus you know the the, the variety you can bring to the table. Um, does have an influence versus like maybe your entire scheme is to sacrifice all your dudes. <laughs> That's how you win. Um, but you get tied and so you have to use a tiebreaker. Ouch. Your your strategy is worth less 
than someone else's strategy just because of this tiebreaker, right? So it's hard to really pinpoint um, exactly the best tiebreaker to use. But uh, just in case you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's just in, I think it's in the, uh, like, setup or um, I forget which page it is in the rule book. But basically, at the end of any game, after six rounds, if you're tied, you look at the battlefield and the most remaining points, or the person that has the most points on the field ends up being the, the winner. Um, there's that, and then there's the tertiary tiebreaker for tournaments for most units destroyed. So these are both used. Um, I like points, of course, and yeah, I think I like killed better than destroyed, or than what's left. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, basing on what's left, uh, in a way, it almost uh, encourages more defensive play, which, you know, will sometimes encourage castling or uh, promoting not, like, doing stuff, you know, purposely not going after something for fear of, like, you know, it's like, oh, I have more points left on the field, or in general, if you if you count field and NCUs, um, it promotes kind of more of a, you know, defensive play, whereas if it's based on what you killed, um and doesn't really care about what you lose in return. It's like, all right, start killing each other, you know, you know, throw that unit at them, even though they might die in return, you have a good chance of, you know, killing something and increasing your tiebreaker for uh, the, for the tournament. And one thing I wanted to note is that, uh, you know, these tiebreakers could be used for determining, um, you know, some or all could be used for determining uh, whether or not you beat your opponent in the game itself. So uh, let's say, you know, you are both at 10 victory points. How Do you just say it's a tie or do you have a tiebreaker in place that will determine if one beat the other? And I think having like kind of different brackets for that would be good because obviously strength of schedule doesn't really make sense for determining that tiebreaker, uh, like within game. Um, but, uh, there's definitely, uh, some merit to, you know, having in game tiebreakers and then overall standing tiebreakers within the tournament. Um, but yeah, so I think what you killed promotes more proactive, uh, play than what remains. What do you think, Brett? I think I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you guys. I think uh I think the points is a little bit more important and I think uh yeah, I, I think the the points are more important than the uh than the number of units that you killed for the examples that you listed. And uh yeah, I pretty much just I pretty much concur. You better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about you, Justin? I'm exactly the same, especially because uh, I think there would be a much bigger disparity uh, between, like, fair tiebreakers if it were units killed. Some armies have four units, which would give them a distinct advantage against their opponent and kind of screw people over from, like, appropriate placings, if that were the case. Um, 
and but units killed, everyone has a forty point list, regardless if there's four points difference in NCUs or whatever the case is. Um, so yeah, I think I think in in terms of fairness, points killed is the fairest way you can go. Yep. Um, all right, and then Carl, is there anything you wanted to add before we jump into the last uh, tiebreaker on, that we have on our list? Um, not really, because the last tiebreaker is what I was going to bring up. Uh, as far as yeah, if you want to jump in us game into tie- it. Okay, so we were talking about like during a game tiebreaker. Um, a lot of people like that I know of would rather just throw that out and call it a tie. I mean, there is a like there is a way that the doc does ties, so why not use it? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I mean, otherwise you you're almost never going to get a tie. <laughs> like besides Clash of Kings, right? Like so. Anyways, um, so just yeah, so you can throw it out if you wanted to and just have ties as part of your um, standings. But this other one I like is scenario points which you, that you have on your list here, and that basically means like I played the scenario better than you, right? That I didn't. Like just because I have a better killy army, you know, doesn't mean that I I win the tiebreaker. It means that I was able to achieve more points via the scenario, via objectives or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, and that's kind of that's kind of hard to define because some of the scenarios their their scenario points are to kill. So how do you differentiate? You know, how do you how do you track that? Um, so it's kind of, but but I think it's very interesting and it's kind of cool to to like to have it a part of of, of tracking if you could. I don't I don't even know I don't have experience with this um, as far as scenario points being a tiebreaker. So I'll let you take over and and explain explain that one. Yeah. So I think who uh, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind to do something like uh, scenario points. Uh, like custom made stuff, but never really implemented it. But I think someone that did it very well is uh, Martin, who is going to be running the Adepticon tournament. Uh, I don't know if you had ever played some of his sample missions, uh, Carl, but uh, he has scenario points in there, and they're really uh, they're really interesting. So uh, he had like two different versions of them. I I'm only going to mention the one I know for sure, and that's uh, he had a little points that you would put one on each piece of terrain and then at the end of the game uh whoever had uh whoever was closer to whoever had a unit that was closest to that piece of terrain would claim that scenario point uh and then if it was a destructible one and you broke it broke it you would put you would grab that scenario point and keep it with you no matter where you went and then if you were to die, it would transfer just like an objective would, let's say, in uh, Dance of Dragons. Uh, so it was almost like another way of having uh, objectives, in a sense, that only counted for the purposes of scenario points. And uh, there were obviously, you know, he used like a plastic, uh, like really small round plastic token. Um, so it was very, uh, you know, it was easy to dis- distinguish them from the you know, objectives of the game. And yes, sometimes because it's a new element, some people would forget about them. But uh, you know, it, it added, added an extra layer uh, to the each mission that I thought was uh, you know it was nice because you had to think about it. So one thing I really liked about um, 
let's say Adepticon, uh, you know, playing in a 40k tournament at Adepticon is they would have like your primary objective, your secondary objective, your tertiary objective, and each one was worth different, <clears throat> excuse me, different amounts of points, and it gave you all these different layers of things you had to think about, and maybe in a casual game that you know that would uh, it's like you don't want to have to think that much, but in like a competitive scene, it added so much layer to it that it really expanded on the amount of uh, strategy you had to implement in order to do all these different things rather than just grab, you know, objectives or kill things. You know, it was like kill the, and they were very similar in the sense of a lot of things that uh, they ask you to do in the, the secret mission cards. So like <clears throat> the tertiary, you know, could be assassinate the enemy's commander. Um, the secondary could be uh, kill X number of units, and the primary could be capture X number of objectives uh, or control them at the end of the game. That way it promotes armies that are good with, um, I don't know, this is kind of jumping into uh, like missions and whatnot, but uh, the, it kind of promotes, like stuff like that will promote uh, lists that are good with objectives while still giving a bonus to with uh, to lists that are good with um, killing things. That way it's not kind of an all or nothing. It's like, oh man, it's fire and blood. There's no objectives at all. Well, in a, in a mission where it's like tertiary, secondary, and uh, primary, you could have, in a way, that are, those are kind of like scenario points, and that could also be an, a way to implement some sort of a tiebreaker. Um, gotcha. How about uh, we'll jump we'll jump to Justin. Uh, I want to go to you because I know you've played some of Martin's missions uh, with the scenario points. What do you think about those? The ones I remember, <clears throat> uh, specifically like the one that he put on terrain. So like infantry at the end of the game, if they're closer to a piece of terrain, or if it were like on a destructible piece. So you'd put them on a piece of terrain at the beginning of the game, and if you destroyed the piece of terrain, it would go on your your unit until the unit's killed and then transferred to whatever killed it or near it, whatever, and then someone could pick it up. But uh, that definitely made us like change the way that we have to play because instead of the end of the round, uh, at the last game round, you know, one person's at 10 points or whatever, you may just try to focus on getting next to terrain to get those scenario points. And I think, I'll say one of the primers, I don't know, we did like 12. You and I, Dave, we did a lot of them. Um, but one of them, I think it actually mattered when it came to like second or third place. I think that was the tiebreaker that was actually used. So uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I liked him. I think Martin definitely put a lot of thought into him. However, I do think that if you don't implement them correctly and actually like put some creativity into them, that they would just be very bland and kind of pointless. So I think uh, you got to be careful a little bit. Yeah, and they, it definitely takes uh, some thinking because if you just kind of make them just this thing that doesn't really do much uh, and doesn't really mean much, I mean, if people are just ignoring them every game all the time, then I mean, then you got to ask yourself why are they, you know, why are they even there? Um, or if they don't change the way you, that the game is actually being played, then like, what's the yep. point, right? Exactly. So I think. You need to, if you're going to implement, uh, you know, any TOs out there that want to implement them, if you are going to implement scenario um, 
you know, tiebreakers or points in general. You really need to be creative with them. And you need to ask yourself uh, if they're fair, too. Because I know um, I used to run a lot of 40K tournaments, uh, some smaller, some fairly big. And all of my tournaments uh, were along the Depticon uh, guidelines, you know, so uh, basically used their format. But I implemented all of my own primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, objectives. I had to make sure that they were, uh, you know, obtainable and that they were fair across the board. So not, you know, for example, not uh, uh, implementing a tertiary, let's say. Tertiaries you can kind of get away with, but uh, so let's say primary or even secondary. You know, don't uh, implement a primary or secondary that's going to be really hard for, you know, half of the factions out there to do. Um, I mean, it'd be hard for me to think of something, you know, off the top of my head, but I'm, you know, if you're sitting down and you're really trying to be creative, I, you know, I've done it enough that you'll come up with some really cool ones, some really bad ones, and some that you think are cool until you put them on the page and then you have other people play them and they look at you like, why is this an objective? (laughs) So, you know, if you're considering that route, just be careful, you know, you it's it takes a lot and maybe you know letting people play test them before you throw them out there uh in an actual tournament uh will definitely help a lot too so just to be clear um and maybe someone was lost like I was at first that's listening so might as well um in, when you <laughs> say scenario points a TO is adding in a whole primary secondary tertiary them just for tiebreaker, right? Like when I first read scenario points, I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, the points that you scored for the game mode matter more than the points you score for killing. That's the first thing I thought of. Like, that's a cool tiebreaker. <laughs> but, like, this is not the case. Um, this, is not, this is not what you're talking about. At all. So. <laughs> sort of. So it's both. So what Martin did was not uh, implement a primary, secondary, tertiary. He just had uh, scenario points that, uh, like I was describing, you placed them on uh, terrain pieces uh, was one way he did it. And then you just collected them either by the end of the game or throughout the game if they're on destructible pieces. And those points would just, let's say, I believe there was only four of them. and then so it, you started the game with four of them. So even if you had five pieces of terrain because of random, one piece would just not have one on it. So And then you would take turns placing a scenario point on an objective. So let's say we roll off, I win, I place it on a weirwood tree, they place it on one. You can't have two on the same one. And then by the end of the game, however many you have is what was your uh, what you got for scenario points, which could be two and two. Um, I was just adding that you could go even further to do like a primary, secondary, and tertiary, which could be a tiebreaker only, or it could be just how you win the game uh, in the same way that you would win based on objectives or uh, um, killing units. So uh, one thing I did want to bring up that I absolutely love about uh, the way 40K does, Adepticon does like their, their placings 
is first place is actually uh, they call best general, or they might call it something different now. And that would be an accumulation of all the points of your battle record. So like your, your uh, how well you did in the actual game uh, in the tournament, your appearance, and your sportsmanship, and sometimes your scenario points all in one category. And whoever had the highest score wins best general, which uh, is equivalent to first place, essentially, but without the title of first place, because um, it wouldn't technically make sense if you weren't the best uh, general, or if you weren't number, you know, actual first place, and you won best general. Uh, the next would be, so it's best general, best, no, sorry, best overall. What I just described was best overall. Uh, best general would be the equivalent of whoever got first place just on your, the way you played in the game. Um, then best sportsmanship, best appearance. Um, this would, uh, you know, this is more if like your, your community is more focused on the, you know, hobby aspect and, you know, kind of trying to promote more of a, a lighthearted, uh, you know, environment, not so bent on winning because you could have that super, you know, power gamer, uh, that, you know, buys up their army, you know, last second, that's the power, you know, that's the, you know, thing that's winning right now and just tries to crush everyone, but they didn't, you know, obviously have time to paint it and they're not very friendly. You know, they're not going to win first place, obviously, because you're going to have that person who's going to have all those points from all of the appearance and the sportsmanship. Granted, this does hurt those that are in the hobby that are not in it for, uh, you know, painting. And I understand that. I know there's plenty of people that are not painters. So it's kind of, uh, it goes back to that preference thing. Um, I think both have their places. I think but if you could best of both worlds, like if you could have one tournament where it is that way, and then one tournament where it isn't, that'd be really nice um, to kind of let people choose what kind of environment of competitiveness they want to be in. Um but uh, so I, I kind of, even though I'm a pretty competitive player, uh, I do paint uh, and I'm okay with sportsmanship. There's some people that don't really like me, like me very much, but, you know, Brett being one of them. <laughs> uh, Funny. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I definitely like both. Uh, I would not be um, mad if they chose either one, but I could understand those that have a preference. That's why I said, you know, it, if they could do both, that'd be awesome. Um, yeah, uh, Carl, any, anything you want to add on to any of that? Oh, well, um, I don't know. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think it can be long. I'm just totally random. My brain works in mysterious ways. I, I don't know, but, uh, I, I'm actually really intrigued and now I want to test actually, uh, like having a tiebreaker be, um, okay, so we're playing Game of Thrones. Who scored more points off of hold, holding objectives? That's that's who wins at the end of six rounds if you're both tied. Okay, we're playing Fire and Blood. Who's, who scored more points off of marked units or VPs on units, not just killing? That's the person who wins the tiebreaker. Uh, okay, you know, we're playing Feast for Crows, objectives, you know, stuff like that. Like, that would actually be interesting to see if it, if it actually um, uh, would would actually tie break because I would imagine there'd probably be a lot of times where it's the same, but 
uh, I, <laughs> I'm just like stuck <laughs> on that <laughs> because I read scenario points and that's when I thought it. That's what I thought of immediately. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. Um, anyways, um, as I guess I guess my final thoughts as far as uh, we hit all the categories is, um, you know, a, a, a tournament, an event is a very community immersive experience. And if your TO, your group isn't communicating and being immersive about these things from the get-go, then then start the conversation um, because it's we're having a fun time, and we don't. It, it's as we mentioned a couple times. It's all perspective. It's all what you guys prefer. A lot of people won't care, so that's fine. But sometimes they'll have a guy like, "Do we have to do it this way?" Sure, fine. Let's do it that way. You know, let's just have a good time. Um, I love this community, uh, and if there is, like, a, a thing about secondary points that you need to bring up with your group, then, then just, just talk about it. All these options are awesome, as long as your group can uh, agree on it, really. Um, as far as the CMON document, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, like, it's a great thing to to read over and take ideas from. Um, I'm really excited to hopefully, I, I don't know, I don't know anything, but hopefully in the future we can see some type of advantage for rolling exactly how CMON wants to do tournaments. I'm not sure if that will happen or not, um, but until then, run it how you want, right? I mean, um, there is there is no penalty for just throwing out throwing out suggestions and doing it however you want. So, um, as a TO who's done many events, the most important thing is at the end of the day your group of people that showed up to the store all had a great time and maybe made some new friends and learned something. So that's what's most important. I can agree to that. Uh, Brett, Justin, uh, any like final thoughts wrapping up uh, all the different tiebreakers in general? Anything that kind of stuck out that you wanted to jump in on? Absolutely nothing. I... No, I just think <laughs> I want to reemphasize. What, what you brought up, Dave, with the, the overall winner, uh, a combination of not just how they not just how they performed on the battlefield, but, you know, the sportsmanship and things being taken into consideration. I think it's a I think it's a good thing to have. I think that uh, if anything was implemented, I, I would like to see some sportsmanship implemented as part of the, you know, the, the official CMON doc. I think in this game it's kind of an exception to some of the other ones because I've never really just had a bad game or, or had a bad opponent. Maybe I'm really lucky, but um, I think for the <laughs> most part, everybody who plays this game is just generally a pleasure. But um, with that said, I think, I think keeping track of sports points is really important. So I do like the, uh, the overall winner, not just the best general being uh, a combination of all of those soft scores as well. Yeah. And I'd say overall, yeah, I think that is what, if I had to choose between the two, I would probably choose that just makes for a better environment in my opinion. And the last thing you want is, you know, you know, super hardcore environment and you're going to start seeing the people kind of on the fringe, uh, you know, they're going to drop off and you're going to see smaller and smaller tournaments when you get to be too competitive I feel like that kind of format is a nice uh, balance to help those that aren't all about just, you know, the competitiveness and winning. We'll start to see the people who, 
you know, are super amazing uh, artists and painters uh, start to play that might not be very good or those that are just uh, genuinely, you know, very awesome uh, people in general to get for the sportsmanship. I would like to add, though, uh, if you are looking to implement this, normally what I do this is how I did it with the 40K tournaments, is I based it on a three-box, three-thing, three-point, I wouldn't necessarily say three-point. So for sportsmanship, there's three boxes, and I would, uh, I asked was, were they courteous, Um, you know, and uh, were they, uh, were they courteous during the game, were they polite? Uh, Next one is, uh, were there any rules, arguments, and, you know, yada, yada. And then the third one's kind of like, you know, did they bring all the appropriate tools uh, or, you know, items that they needed, uh, something kind of out there. And then each box they check is worth, let's say, two points. And and this isn't victory points. This is just points in the category of sportsmanship. Um, and the nice thing about uh, kind of breaking it up and making each box worth so many points is it'll help uh, differentiate in the end because uh, you do an all or nothing sort of thing, then it, you get way too many uh, people tying at the end with sportsmanship. Uh, and then appearance, I do the same thing. Three boxes is everything painted. Um, are there any, uh, and I, I like to throw in, even uh, even though you think appearance, you think uh, painting, I like to throw in conversions. I know in this game, you don't see as much conversions because it's uh, all already built. So that one you might might or might not want to expand on. It's up to you. Uh, and then, you know, you do three of those boxes, three, like, categories you really want to see for appearance. Uh, maybe basing uh, could be, like, the third box. And each box is worth one point. Um, and the reason being is you want to hold sportsmanship above uh, – appearance in my opinion you want both of them to matter but if we're talking about uh, best overall that's going to matter because you're going to see all the points added in the overall you're going to see all your victory points combined with your sportsmanship points combined with your appearance points and the reason that matters is you know you're you're showing that in a perfect score you're getting six points for sportsman and three points for appearance showing that you're you're weighing sportsmanship at double the value of appearance of your army, both being important, both adding to your total, but it promotes more of a friendly attitude. Uh, And you want to, uh, if you ever get, uh, not so much for appearance, because I don't see it happen very often, but sportsmanship, if you're going to TO or be in charge, then if you see someone turn in a all uh, unchecked sportsmanship, meaning they had a you know, probably a terrible time, you should probably pull them aside. Uh, this is something that Martin does, and I think it's amazing. Like He goes out of his way to make sure that you know, it gets resolved, you know, to figure out what happened. Because sometimes uh, people do it out of spite, and that's not okay. If you, genu- you know, genuinely had a bad time and you didn't check any box because, you know, it it was true, then by all means. But you still want to kind of, like, fix it. But there are those people that they lost and they get mad and 
granted those people are very, you know, far and few. Uh, some people will just not check any boxes to hurt their score as a way of getting back at them, uh, especially if they feel slighted after maybe uh, one like one rules argument that changed the game. You know, one rules argument shouldn't, uh, you know, take unless it got really nasty, shouldn't really take away from all the points of sportsmanship, especially if they take it further and go, well, even though your stuff's all painted, I'm going to give you no marks for uh, appearance because of it. So if you're TOing, just keep that in the back of your head. Uh, try to get to the bottom of it because um, they're there to, you know, it is up to the person's uh, uh, interpretation, essentially, with the sportsmanship and appearance. But if it's obvious they're just doing it to do it, it should probably be addressed because it's not fair to the person who, um, to the other person. So just keep in mind um, something I I'd like to commend uh, Martin on because he's really good about it. Uh, if you guys not have not had the pleasure to meet Martin, um, hopefully uh, when things kick back up, you guys uh, will be able to meet him and you know see what uh, we've been talking about in all these episodes. <laughs> so, all right, and with I will, that, I will uh, share a. Uh, oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I will, I will share a cool thing that I saw a TO do just for anyone still listening. In regards to everything that you're just talking about, he did a basically a raffle ticket system, right? So, and we it was more like a 20 person tournament uh, at RageCon in Reno, which has been uh, delayed, but it's still happening. In case anyone wants to come, Reno, Nevada, RageCon, it's really fun. But um, the way that he did it was really cool. He just had he walked around, and and just by he moved from through the tables and listen to people and see how they're interacting, and he just gave out raffle tickets for being friendly, for helping people, other your opponent out, or maybe you lost a dire wolf to a morale test, you get an extra ticket. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it was just, it encouraged good times and smiles, and, and there was no, like, there was no downside of a sportsman separating system, because there can be. Um, it was just kind of like, if if you're not being a good sport, then you know, you're, you're not going to be asked to come back. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, we're, we're playing games. We're having fun. But if you're having, if you're being an extra good sport, you're going to get some raffle tickets for the end because we have some prizes just for that. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not towards your actual, like, overall score. It's just a thing that should happen anyways. And if you're being extra cool, here's a raffle ticket. Like, I really liked how he did it. I just wanted to throw that out there in case people are experimenting with different ways to do it, so... Anyway, that's that's it. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. And that, uh, I guess, one small addition to that is, I'm sure some people have already seen this done. Uh, I just want to throw it out there for those that uh, maybe haven't. Um, one thing that, uh, if you're up for it, trying to do is, you know, try hosting a tournament uh, that's like uh, donation based. So what you can do is. Um, all proceeds, you know, there is no, I mean, you could try to get some swag in there, uh, like some prizes for people, but as far as like all entry goes to like a donation and then, uh, you can purchase, uh, tickets and usually you can put a cap on it and put some restrictions so it doesn't get out of hand within a game. But for every ticket you purchase, let's say a dollar a ticket, you can re re-roll one singular die in a game. Oh, per, let's say, roll. nice. 
<laughs> and every dollar goes to the donation. So you'd be like, oh, man. And granted, this would uh, kind of give strength to singular roles, let's say that charge role. But, like, you know, granted, if you're rolling, like, 14 dice, it might not be as impactful. But it's still something. I mean, because can you really fault the person across from you from getting these rerolls if you know that they get in those rerolls because they're donating to a charity? I mean, it's you know, it's something that I like to try to do with our D and D groups is, you know, just a pot in the middle, throw a dollar in there, re roll. And then um, you know, and pick a charity after so many, you know, weeks of, you know, getting getting the money or maybe a whole year or something. Uh and it That's really cool. a dollar a re roll a dollar re roll is not much, especially if you just come into the tournament knowing, hey, I'm going to throw an extra 10 bucks in there. I mean, it's just 10 bucks, you know, a $10 entry, 10 extra bucks, 20 bucks. You know, I know all 20 is going to, you know, a donation of some, or a charity of some kind, you know, it, it'll go a long way. You'll be surprised. And, uh, though I do want to tack on to that, make sure, uh, I mean, donating to a charity in general is always a good thing, but try to pick a charity where, you know, uh, most of it's going to actually go to the charity. There's a lot of kind of scummy charities out there. So try to do some research. Um, I know some have yep. some pretty awesome um, titles to them, like donate to this because, you know, it, it saves children with cancer where you, you know, only like a penny of every dollar goes to the actual cause. Whereas you could find a, another charity, which also does the same exact thing, but then like 50 cents, 75 cents, or sometimes even upwards of like 99 cents of your dollar goes to the actual cause. So just do a little research if you want to go this route. Um, but yeah, it definitely goes a long way and it can definitely boost some morale and get some people in there. If they're kind of on the fence, you know, okay, look, super lenient tournament, going to have a blast. We're going to get some like pizza and drinks and then all of it, all the proceeds go into whatever. And you could even, if you don't have one in mind, pick like a bunch and then have everyone, maybe everyone that attends gets a vote. And then whatever gets vote on the most is the charity it goes to. Or maybe whoever uh, gets first place gets to pick the charity um, uh, among, you know, obviously you're going to want to make it among, you know, ones where it's really going to make an impact. But, uh, but, yeah, just something I wanted to throw out there, people that maybe haven't thought about that. I know it's, I know it's uh it's not like some super secret thing, but, um, but yeah, with that no, said, that's, a great, uh, that's a great idea. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, closing, I want to announce our winner for the meme, uh, contest for this. Uh, those that maybe didn't know about it, uh, I was trying to promote it as much as I could. There's a post on our site, um, on our Facebook page where you posted the funniest, uh, Game of Thrones slash Ice and Fire meme that you could. We voted with a, which came to a, a two, one, and one uh, vote. So then Justin was our tiebreaker. And our winner is Cyrus Moore with, uh, I believe, the Undertaker uh, meme. So congratulations, <laughs> you have <laughs> you have won uh, a package of 2D or a set uh, package set of 2D uh, terrain uh, from uh, playmats.eu, which uh, is made in the matte material that 
uh, you might or might ha- have played on for the board. It or oh, for Azure cool. board. It's the same material that Simon did their Kickstarter mats on. So my mouse pad material, if you still don't know what I'm talking about. And the benefit to that is uh, I've played a couple games with it, and it's amazing that the terrain does not move almost at all. You know, like I can't tell you how many times I've bumped into you know the train and it's not a huge deal if it gets bumped but it can kind of be a little nuisance especially in those moments where it was uh, an objective was on top of it and now it's you know you thought maybe you were just short and somehow you're just on it and so the terrain if you're using it on top of like a mat uh of the same material it doesn't move almost at all so i hope you enjoy that um I will be messaging you to uh, get your address. I'll be shipping that to you for free. And uh, just to, when you get it, if you could just uh, kind of post up on the Facebook page uh, showing that you got it, maybe a shout-out would be awesome. And, uh, you know, um, maybe uh, if you end up using it and liking it, uh, point some people towards uh, playmats.eu. Um, not sponsored by them or anything. I just think they make some amazing uh, product. And you can get a bunch of custom stuff made. I had uh, a, a matte tactics board made um, and also NCU, um, unactivated NCU slots. So basically it's just like a mat where you would put your card and then the NCU uh, to, you know, before they get activated. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check them out. And any idea, any crazy idea you might want for them, I mean, they were on top of, you know, working with me super quick about getting my stuff made. And the ter- uh, for anyone um, worried about it, the terrain is in size and shape. And the set comes with both sizes of everything. So um, you'll get one of the bigger weirwood trees from uh, the Lannister Stark starter and one of the smaller weirwood trees from the Night's Watch and On starters. And same with the course piles. You'll get one of the bigger ones and one of the smaller ones, uh, bogs and forests same thing one of the bigger one of the smaller and the um the destructible terrains the smaller ones those you'll get two of each uh and they are um uh they're they're all the same size because they didn't the uh, seaman didn't change those so uh you'll be getting a total of what two four eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty four sixteen pieces of terrain so uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, let us know uh, what you think about it. So, another uh, shout out: definitely check out songoficeandfireguild.com, where you can find uh, um, Small Council Radio, um, West Coast Bannerman. Uh, it's hard to sh- you know rattle them off. Uh, there's six of us. Tabletop Warden, Song of Ice and Fire yep. stats, Brett Lamford, yep, uh, randomly writing stuff. <laughs> Mythicos Gaming and uh, Blitz and Pieces. Uh, you can check all of us out at uh, a song of com. The site is beautiful, so definitely go check it out. Share it out to as many people as you can. Uh, word of mouth is absolutely the best thing you can do for us. Uh, this in particular, because I mean, you're sharing sharing this site out to people is the equivalent of sharing out six uh, content creators' stuff, you know, their content. Uh, all at the same time, you know, it's easier than having to go to each of our individual sites and shout us out all individually. So definitely go there and check that out. Uh, I will do an additional shout out um, for a song of ice and fire stats.com. 
which uh, is also a guild member. So you'll, you can find all that on the guild site as well. But if you have not, go on their site, make an account. You can upload past, present uh, um, games that you've played and submit them in order to gain more uh, you know, stats on the different factions and units and how well they're doing. Um, he runs a bunch of the uh, tabletop simulator events. I don't know about runs them, but they're ran through his site. So he has a ton of data, and it's just amazing to see how well certain things are doing against other things. You can kind of build up your own reputation too because it will keep track of your win-loss ratio um, and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, you can go as far as you know putting in a ton of the data to be super detailed, or let's say you don't really have a lot of time. You can just put in, um, I believe, just the faction and the victory points if you just want to be quick and get it in and out. Um, you can do that and still you know supply some uh, stats to help uh, help us figure out where the meta is going and how powerful certain things tend to be and this is uh, anywhere in the world too there's people from all over the world that's uh, on this site and submitting their data so definitely check that out we want it to grow as much as we possibly can in order to get the the most reliable data that we can um, so that is kind of it for the show I want to thank uh, Brett, Justin, and uh, Chris uh, for coming on. As always, guys, I appreciate everything you do for the show. And Carl, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on. Your insight was amazing. You know, our guests are you know super valued because you guys add so much to each one of our shows. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure, and and I don't know about amazing. It's just one person, <laughs> but. Um, uh, there's yeah there's there's so many fun different ways to enjoy this amazing game so um don't hold back and trying new things sharing what you guys think uh is your favorite way to break the ties or even to run events so um thanks again for having me appreciate it yeah no problem and so and then to close it out uh thank you all for tuning in those listening live, those listening to the recording, either way, we appreciate you guys listening in. We do this for you guys, and if there's ever something you want to uh, suggest that we talk about, go join our Discord, which you can find on our Facebook page. Um, there's not a whole lot going on as far as like, discussions, but uh, we mainly use it for uh, getting um, suggestions for shows. Uh, we have a lot kind of uh, in the works for the next couple months, but we're always willing to throw it on the list because, you know, doing a show every week, you know, we can go through topics pretty quickly. Uh, we do our absolute best to work them in there. I believe uh, we've gone through a bunch of suggestions already, so um, no idea is really bad as long as uh, we haven't already covered it. Uh, and please, you know, consider liking, uh, following the page, sharing it out. That is absolutely the best thing uh, you guys can do to help uh, help the show out. Um, I will interrupt my closing for a second because uh, Brett uh, mentioned to me that I completely forgot about a very big event coming up. So those that have not uh, seen it already, there's a huge event coming up. Lots of interest already, especially with a lot of things already being closed down. Uh, an indie uh, sponsored event 
um, is going to be happening, and I will let Brett kind of take it away because he knows the details a little more concrete than I do. Uh, yeah, this is, it's, I, I got confirmation today um, that we will have some unit boxes as prizes. At, at a bare minimum, we will have Rose Knights as prize support, and that's not just a box that you can go out and buy right now, so it's really cool. Um, I'm not able to disclose names, but we, we do have some support coming in for this event, and uh, it is a possibility that some of the CMON brass will be in attendance as well. Um, for those of you who had heard from the past, we did have uh, the VP of CMON visit us in Indy um, as well as Michael. So I'm not saying for sure that they will be there or those two specifically, but it is a possibility that we will have some CMON brass in attendance in Indy. Um, we currently have 22 guys that are signed up and confirmed as being there. We've got 35 people um, total that are interested in, in, in working their way in. I know that we've got some guys coming from Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, and uh, uh, maybe some guys from Kentucky and maybe even some guys from Georgia. So it's, a, it's an event that's, that's uh, kind of picking up steam and it should be super duper fun. So um, if you're able to and you want to do something in place of Gen Con, of course it's not Gen Con, uh, but it's it's about the best thing that, that we can do in Indy for right now is just bring guys in in the spirit of that Gen Con weekend and just uh, roll some dice in person and have some laughs and uh, watch Brett get drunk the whole time maybe. You know, you never know. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's, it's, it's a good time in Indy. Um, we'll be following uh, all of the COVID guidelines. Um, my in-laws actually make um, FDA-approved uh, hand sanitizers. So there will be plenty of hand, hand sanitizer on hand. Uh, Shane will be providing a mask for anybody who attends <laughs> as part of that entry fee. So uh, it should be really fun, and uh, it's going to be great. So if you can make it, uh, you should definitely go. It might be the biggest local that we've had in Indy, and we've had quite a few big ones. So if you're interested and can make it, uh, I'll keep posting things every couple of weeks to, to try to keep a count. Uh, we do have a limit of 50 people, so just keep that in mind. But if you're interested, don't hesitate to come join us for some fun. So Gen Con weekend, what's the date? That would be August first and second. Good, good, uh, good eye there, Carl. Yeah, uh, it'll so I, be. I gotta start Saturday. walking. I gotta start walking now then. Actually, I heard airfares relatively cheap right now. I know the hotel uh, prices around Indy are, are have dropped considerably as well. So, um, awesome. You know, we would love to have you. It'd be great. So, but I, I know sometimes those things just aren't easy to pull off. But yeah, and I wanted to add in there a lot of people always uh, like because me and Justin have gone I think three times now out there for the other bigger events. Uh, going if you're looking to make like a real weekend out of it, uh, we usually show up early Friday, and there's usually people there to hang out with, play some games. So go on Friday, uh, get some you know chit chatting in, some you know meeting some people. Uh, play some games, uh, go out with us to dinner. Uh, Saturday going to be the main event, 40 points. Uh, I don't know if the uh, if it's random or preset uh, missions yet. Uh, Brett, do you know that part? Yeah, um, actually, I'm probably going to get some booze and jeers, but uh, uh, the missions are um, Game of Thrones, uh, Dance with Dragons, Dark Wings, Dark Words. Boo. 
It's actually a good scenario. <laughs> Honestly, I really, I've, I've become a believer I like in that it. scenario. I, I, I quite like it. And then fire and blood. So uh, kind of shaking it up a little bit from the standard, you know, the big four, we've removed uh, Feast for Crows and Clash of Kings for this event. Uh, no particular reason. Uh, we've just found that uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words has a bad reputation, but it's actually really fun. I will, uh, you know, agree to that. Uh, those that have maybe not played it very much, I am not a big fan of win- Winds of Winter. Um, some may know that, uh, others not. I really don't care for that one. Uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words may use the secret mission cards. Totally different type of mission than uh, Winds of Winter, and I think it is an amazing uh, mission. If you haven't played it yet or haven't played much of it, definitely uh, play some more of it because um, – I was kind of skeptical at first too because it's a uh, you know it uses the um, secret mission deck and I w- kind of had a bad taste in my mouth after some very uh, unlucky draws of uh, Winds of Winter. So, um, with that said, uh, yeah. So Saturday, forty points. Those are going to be the missions. Uh, um, you know, then we'll probably go out and do hang out uh, Saturday night as well. Sunday, uh, there's going to be a team tournament. It's going to be, I believe, three rounds, and it, you're going to be uh, paired with a different teammate every round. Uh, I believe 25 points a person. Um, you can't have any neutrals in your army unless you are all neutral. Uh, so no Varus uh, in a bunch of lists unless you're going to run neutrals. Um, but you will random pairing, uh, or I should say uh, a veteran with a newer player paired round one, I believe is correct, right, Brett? And then, uh, and then you will be paired uh, with winner, uh, winners or losers after that, Brett? Uh, so, yeah, you've got it right. In round one, we're going to be uh, deliberately um, pairing some of the veteran players, some of the guys that have played a lot of games, are going to be paired with some of the newer players. And then after that round the winning team will then be paired with uh, someone that was from a team that did not win. And uh, so that uh, we're going to have to do some adjusting in that because the, the less experienced player won't get paired with like another less experienced player that didn't win. So we're going to keep that veteran pairing with the new players as much as we can. And the reason for that is number one, it's really fun. And then number two, we want to keep a focus on the community and sometimes a guy playing on a team with a veteran, they'll pick up some of their tips and tricks. Uh, team games are fun. You have a lot of little private conversations and like, well, we can do this or we can do this. And then you decide together. And it's a really good way of getting players, you know, to, to think like, oh, well, I would have never thought about that. But now, you know, in talking with you about it, I see how that makes sense. And, and then you end up getting a little bit better the more you get the, t- get the chance to play with people and kind of in the middle of the game here, their thought process as well, and maybe they see something that you don't. So it's a, it's a really cool exercise, and the team games are always super-duper fun. So, Yeah, and uh, I believe the first time uh, me and Justin went out there, that's the format they did the team tournament in, and uh, that was – I thought it was super fun. So the second time we went out, uh, they did it where you picked a teammate, and that was still fun. I liked it. I think that was also in preparation for uh, 
uh, Adepticon, which ended up unfortunately not happening. Uh, so I think that had a factor in why it was that format. But the format we're talking about where you change uh, teammates is really fun. I had a blast when we played it last time. So, In fact, I got um, dead last in that tournament. <laughs> it's all Brett's fault. Well, we had a great game, so it's cool. <laughs> it was but, one of uh, the funniest things that's ever happened in any <laughs> game ever. In that game. <laughs> so, so I feel compelled to tell uh, the story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we got uh, yeah, a sorry, little extra funny. time. <laughs> so Justin and I ended up being being on a team, and I brought like the worst Lannister list of all time for 25 points. I have no idea how, um, how I made it as far in that event as I did. And then Justin has this five cutthroats list. And so we <laughs> ended up playing this, this, it was a horrendous, uh, Gary and Jared, uh, Lannister night's watch. And like, I'm looking down, we've got warrior sons with the old warrior sons with Tywin and Pyromancers with Tyrion, the giant, like old, old Tyrion. That was terrible for three points. And it was like, uh, how are we going to win this game? <laughs> and we got our asses <laughs> kicked badly. But there was this one moment where it was like, we're going to kill the mountain that rides, and that is, our, that is our way of atoning for how badly we're getting beat. Well, they played Protection of the Father when we charged with Pyromancers, and it was like, um... If he passes this morale test, our pyromancers are going to die. And he, he rolled snakes, so he ended up dying from it. And it was it was just really funny because I think that was maybe the only unit that we killed was the mountain that rides. And then, like, we just got crushed. immediately tabled afterwards. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I had some pretty uh, funny moments in that tournament as well. So anyone, uh, yeah, anyone still listening, you know, it would be awesome to see you guys out there. I believe most of small council radio, if not everyone will be out there. If you wanted to come meet us, not that we're like super famous or anything, but it would be awesome to kind of see uh, some of our viewers and meet you guys in person. Um, uh, but yeah, we have, uh, at least I have to be there, you know, all Friday, Saturday, and most of Sunday and, you know, just going out having a good time playing a bunch of games. So especially after this long uh, kind of hiatus of uh, in-person uh, games, let alone, you know, some nice uh, tournament play, uh, it'd be great to see a bunch of you guys out there. As Brett was saying, uh, unless something changes, it is limited spots of 50 uh, at the moment. And with uh, 22 already confirmed and another, you know, uh, 13 uh, interested beyond that, uh, you know, I would sign up now, um, or not necessarily sign up, but go on, uh, I believe Brett, uh, posted on like every Facebook page, uh, the link to the, uh, to the event, go on there and at least hit interested, uh, if you're unsure, uh, the more people we see, uh, on there, the more, uh, hype we can get, maybe the more prize support we can add. I know I have a bunch of stuff I'm going to be bringing to give away, uh, I'm not going to say it all just yet until we get a little bit closer. So um, we're going to put the link on the guild page as well, so it'll be towards the top. Uh, Brett uh, is going to put that on there for me in just a minute uh, when he gets a chance. Uh, so, yeah, uh, take a look at our page, you know, not only for that, but just for any of the other uh, stuff on there. Um, so, again, uh, 
you know, share out our page. You know, that is absolutely the best thing you can do for us uh, to help us grow. We do this all for you guys. Uh, in the next coming uh, days, uh, we're probably going to post our first uh, box to raffle off, uh, which is going to be a neutral hero box too. Um, all all the money that uh, from the raffle is simply going to go towards um, paying for this show, uh, which is actually quite pricey, but uh, you know, any little bit helps. We'd rather do raffles than take Patreon. Um, you know, not that anything's really wrong with Patreon. I know a lot of content creators do that, and it's you know, it's awesome. It's a way that you guys can show sh- support. But if you guys want to support us in that way, in a financial way, then just uh, you know, uh, you know, do some of the raffles. At least uh, you can get some uh, potentially get some prizes out of it. So yeah, the Neutral Hero Box Two is what we're going to raffle off maybe in the next couple of days, and uh, it'll either go towards the show or if we make enough from our raffles that we exceed the show's cost, we're going to just put it right back into buying more boxes to do more raffles uh, and just continuously get product out there to you guys. Cause you know, in the end, you know, we just, we want to help you guys out. We want to give you guys, you know, product as much as we feasibly can. And uh, you know, and hopefully uh, we entertain you guys with our show. Um, but Thank you all for tuning in for this week's episode. We'll see you next week at uh, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And this is the Small Council, and it is dismissed.